0: praise the Lord Father we give you we give you praise we give you honor we give you glory in this sanctuary today yes thank you Lord thank you that the, the pain in someone's chest is leaving even now even before I begin you are already beginning and I play I praise you Lord thank you for healing now in the area of the chest and the breathing thank you Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for the anointing. Thank you right there for for where the the front of the leg joins the torso, right there in that bend, that crease uh, where there's been pain. That pain's leaving right now in the name of Jesus. And someone will be able to move their leg and move around without any pain in that area. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be here in this conference today. Thank you for for Brother Jerry, Sister Carolyn, for their family. Thank you for this ministry that you've raised up, Pastor Justin and everyone here today. Thank you for these ministers who've come from around the country and even overseas. I bless them in the name of the Lord. Now, thank you for a fresh touch of the anointing of the Lord. I receive it in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Brother Jerry and Carolyn, thank you. I love you. I love you very much. And you preached in my daddy's shoes today. <clears throat> but I'm, I'm going
1: gonna,
0: I'm gonna to outdo you. I have on a pair of pants that you gave me. These are Jerry's pants. You may have the shoes, but I got the pants. And what are shoes without pants? (laughs) He bought these the slacks of a suit that he bought me, and I'm wearing them for him because he wore my daddy's shoes today. (laughs) Praise God. I think it was in the mid-50s. We were in Roanoke and my dad's crusade was in a building. It was in the winter. It was too cold for the tent. And we were coming out after the last service, and whenever my dad would let me, I would walk the prayer line with him on the last day. It was his custom that if you had a prayer card and you had not been prayed for, or your prayer card had not been called for you to get into the prayer line, that he would lay hands on you on the Sunday afternoon. And so the longest line was always on Sunday. And there must have been at least two or 3,000 that day that he laid hands on. And he would let me walk the lines with him uh, many times and came out through the, the hallway, through, the, through the, the back to go out to the car. And uh, there was a little boy sitting in one of the rooms. And my dad, we just noticed him, and my dad looked in and walked on. All of a sudden, he turned around, stuck his head back in there and said, Son, what are you doing in here? said, I'm waiting for Oral Roberts. He said, you are? Yes. Why? He said, because I'm supposed to be healed today. So what's your name? Willie. Willie Phelps. I'm Brother Roberts. You are? Well, Brother Roberts, I'm supposed to be healed today. My dad said, well, Willie, I'm pretty tired. I preached a long crusade. I've laid hands on thousands of people today. How'd you get in here? He said, well, my mama couldn't get in. The crowd was too big. But she pushed me through a little hole. He said, you find a place and you sit down, because at the end of the service, Brother Roberts will find you. He said, well, son, I'm, I'm pretty tired, uh, My faith is not as strong as it was a little while ago. He said, well, I don't know about that. All I know is I'm supposed to be healed today. (laughs) My dad stretched out his hand and prayed for him. Willie was on metal crutches. One leg was shorter than the other. He had a built-up shoe. And he couldn't walk. And we went on. Weeks later, we heard the story. His mother had bought him a brand new pair of shoes, and he was determined to go to school the next morning without his crutches, without the built-up shoe, in the regular shoe like all the other boys and girls. And when he got home, he put his crutches down and said, Mama, I'm going to walk to you, took off the built-up shoe, put on the new shoes, walked across the hall I walked across the room, just as normal as any child could walk. <laughs> Next morning, she took him to school. All the children gathered around him. The teacher had him tell the story. Everyone was amazed. And the teacher said, Willie, it must have cost a lot. Willie said, no, ma'am. It was free. God did it. We were in Jacksonville where you started with Brother Copeland. And there was a little boy about my age that came up in the prayer line with his mother. He also had uh, a metal rod running up and down his leg. And um, his hip looked funny. And his mother had the prayer card. And Brother Bob DeWeese, my dad's longtime associate, would read the prayer card, then hand it to my dad. When my dad saw it, he saw that the little boy had been born without a hip socket. I don't mean he didn't, he, it had deteriorated. I mean, he was born without one. And his hip was all sunken in, and his leg was sort of shriveled up. And my dad saw that. And there was a big crowd, maybe 10,000. And he said to her over the microphone, Ma'am, I am so sorry. I just don't have faith for a creative miracle. This healing is going to have to wait until the resurrection. That woman, without missing a beat, took the microphone from my dad's hands (laughs) and said, Oral Roberts, I don't expect you to have any faith at all. You just pray and I will do the believing. I remember it like it was yesterday. He prayed for the little boy and seemingly nothing happened at the time. But the next night when we got to the service, Brother DeWeese had the little boy and his mother up on the platform. The little boy was running. He was jumping. He didn't have the metal. And his hip was full. And my dad went up and put his hand where the night before it had been all sunken in. And in the night, God had created a socket. My dad would later tell me the story. When I got out to the car, he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, I healed him all right, but you won't get any credit for it. He had three tents, the main tent, which seated 12,000, then two other tents, one they called the salvation tent, and after he gave the altar call and people gave their hearts to Christ, he would send them to that prayer tent or salvation tent where pastors would meet with them, because as an evangelist, he wasn't going to be staying in town. He wanted to put them in the hands of the pastors and get them into the churches, And then another tent was called the Invalid Tent. And it was just that. It was a tent filled with people who were too sick to stand in the prayer line. And they would come on stretchers, on cots, on hospital beds with IVs in, the sickest people you can possibly imagine, not unlike what Jesus must have faced at the pool of Bethesda. And it was a it was an unbelievable sight. And every time I possibly could, he would let me, I would go with him into that little tent. Because he would pray for them, those that were the sickest, before he would pray for those in the main service. Most people didn't know about that invalid tent or what happened in there. But there was a sound system. Of course, this was long before video. There was a sound system so they could hear the message. And they could hear this, the salvation call. And then while Brother DeWeese was organizing the prayer line and calling the prayer cards, my dad would go to that invalid tent where he would spend time with those who were too sick to stand in the prayer line. And every time I could, I was right by his side. And we came in one night, and there was a man who was in the last stages of cancer. He was on a hospital bed. He, he had had IVs in his body. The nurse was there attending him. And you could tell the man was right at the point of death. I couldn't have been more than 10, 10, 12 years old. And uh, the smell of the cancer filled the air. It was so bad. It took your breath away. And my father leaned over to pray for him. And instead of touching him, he turned and vomited all over the sawdust floor. And walked out of the tent left me standing there. And I didn't know what to do. But a moment later, he came back through the tent flap and walked over to where the man was and got up on the hospital bed and took the man in his arms and prayed for him. Now, that's a vivid memory that I have. I I can't get it out of my mind. But we never talked about it. Not until my mother went home to be with the Lord. 2006. And we were in his home after the memorial service. And we were talking and we were reminiscing. And somehow that subject came up. And I said, do you remember when you threw up? He said, oh, I'll never forget how I threw up. And I said, well, what happened? You, you threw up and then you left. You left me standing there by myself. And then a moment or two later, you came back in and you got up on the bed and took the man in your arms and hugged him. And my dad smiled and chuckled. And he said, well, let me tell you what happened. He said, at that time in my ministry, I was under such scrutiny. I was under such heavy opposition. The media was hitting me nationally and internationally, so hard. No matter what I did, no matter what I said, the media would take it, they would twist it, they would turn it, and they would put it in their newspapers and their magazines. Here I'm trying to get people saved and healed and delivered, and I'm just being crucified all over America and all over the world. And he said, I had had it up to here. And when I smelled that smell and vomited, I said to the Lord, I quit. I'm not going to do this any longer. Whatever I do for you, I just get hammered and hammered and hammered. I'm so sick and tired of being all all over the newspapers. It's affecting my family. It's affecting my children. It's affecting my life. I'm not going to do this anymore. And he said, that's when I walked out. And I said, but you came back. He said, well, I got outside the tent and the Lord spoke to me. (laughs) And I said, what did he say? He said, Earl Roberts, if you're not willing to lay hands on him and pray, you're not worthy to be my child. He said, that's when I came back and took him in my arms. <laughs> See, I remember things like that. Because I was there. I saw it with my eyes. You can't tell me that God stopped healing miracles when the disciples died out. Jeez, come on. I've seen too many miracles. Just in the last 17 years, through our television program, Lindsay and I have seen 150,000 healing testimonies come in. Lindsay, sweetheart, stand up. Let them give a big welcome to you. So glad she's here with me. Open your Bibles to James chapter 5. Now, I'm not going to tell you anything you don't already know. But like... Brother Keith this morning, I want to reemphasize, like Brother Jerry this morning, I want to reemphasize the word of faith. The word of faith that's in your mouth. I want to reemphasize healing to you today. Healing. Everybody say healing. Healing. The Bible says in James 5, is any sick among you? Now, when we think of sickness, don't just think of physical sickness. Think of people being away from God. Think of what sin has done to people's lives. Think of emotional distress and discouragement and depression and fear and anxiety and loneliness and bitterness and anger. That's a sickness. Think of financial loss. That's a sickness. Think of, uh, of actual sickness and disease itself. My dad used to say to me, son, everybody is sick in some way and needs a healing. By the way, uh, Brother Keith uh, ought to write a book called Faith Begins at
1: 1201.
0: Yes. <laughs> Faith Begins at 1201. I'm going tell him that tonight. He's resting, getting ready to preach again tonight. So, is any sick... Among you. Let them call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith, not the prayer of doubt. The prayer of faith shall save the sick person, and the Lord will raise them up. That was the early call of the disciples. They had been with Jesus. They knew what Mark or what Matthew 3 says, or Matthew 4, excuse me, that Jesus came preaching and teaching and healing. He preached, he taught, and he healed. That is the full gospel message. Thank God for the preaching of the word. It's the preaching of the word that draws men and women unto God and to repentance. Thank God for the teaching of the word. The word has to be taught. But it also must be confirmed by miracles and signs and wonders. That's the gospel. And many a ministry and many a church today preaches and teaches, but they leave the healing ministry out. There's got to be the confirmation of the miracles and the signs and the wonders. Now, my father was a preacher. He could preach. But that's not what people came for. People came for that healing line. And my dad used to say, I'm nothing but a $10 healing hand. And I said, Dad, don't say that. That doesn't sound good. And the older I got, I understood what he meant. People wanted, they wanted the touch of God. They listened to him preach, but they wanted to get in that prayer line because they knew somehow the power of God was going to flow through his life into their life. Yeah. But many a minister today has shied away. From praying for the sick maybe some of you have maybe maybe you used to but you don't do it in the same way that you used to perhaps because uh, you're intimidated in some way or someone has criticized you or 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 uh, or something else has happened or or maybe you you prayed and you thought there was going to be a miracle and it didn't happen or at least it didn't seem to happen at that time well that didn't seem to bother the disciples because they had seen Jesus preaching, teaching, and healing. And not everyone that Jesus prayed for got a miracle. Yeah. There were places where he could do no miracles because of their unbelief. And people always talked about the great miracles that my father Earl Roberts saw. But he came home from Crusades talking about the ones that looked like they didn't get healed. His heart went out to those that he prayed for and did everything he knew to do. And seemingly, it was, it was the same after they left. I remember once... Years ago, after Lindsay and I got married, she had she had grown up with migraine headaches. And she was having a migraine headache, and she called uh, my dad and asked him to come and pray, and he came down to the house and he laid hands on her and said, You'll have these what? Three? You'll have these for three more days. She said, Oral, why? Why if the healing power is here? Why do I have to have them for three more days? Why well, can't just be healed now? He said, Be three more days and you never have another one. And then he turned and said, You're winting. And she said, "What? I'm winting." She said, "Yes, the Bible says they were healed as they went.". <laughs> you're winting Isn't that great?" Turn to your neighbor and say, "You're, you're wenting." <laughs> Isn't that good?" See, these disciples had been with Jesus. They had seen him preach and teach and bring healing to the people. And so they were doing what they had seen. And so they would say, is any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray. They made every street corner their pulpit, every back alley their chapel. Wherever they went, is any sick among you? Do you need healing in your spirit, in your mind, in your body, in your family, in your finances? In any area of your life, do you need healing? And the resurrection was very near and very dear to them because at that time they were persecuted for their faith. Many of them were crucified. Many believe that, many scholars believe that Peter was crucified upside down. There were those who were put to death, they were decapitated, they were brought into the Roman circus there in in, in Rome, in the Colosseum, and fed to hungry lions. At any moment, they could, they could lose their life because they were a Christian. There was great persecution. They could be jailed at any moment. In fact, that's what the Apostle Paul, at that time who was known as Saul, was after on his way to Damascus to get letters from the chief priests to persecute and put, jail, put Christians in jail and kill them if he could. And he had stood by and held the coats of those who stoned Stephen to death. So he was already an accessory to murder. But these Christians were willing to risk everything for the healing of the people. And for years it was like that. Until in the 300s AD, Constantine, the emperor Constantine, got saved. And he banished the persecution of the Christians. And suddenly, they weren't suffering for their faith in the way that they were. They weren't being arrested. They weren't being crucified. They weren't being fed to hungry lions. And somewhere, somebody came up with the bright idea of suffering for the Lord through sickness. And if it be God's will, he will heal you. As if God had not already made up his mind. He said in 3 John 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. We know it's his greatest wish that we prosper in every area of our lives, and that includes our health. And yet somehow Christians got the idea that perhaps, maybe, it was God's will. And if it were his will at that time, that he would would heal them. That's what my, my father endured when he had tuberculosis as a teenager. One pastor came into his home when he was... Uh, nearly at the point of death, and laid hands on him and prayed and said, God, if it be your will, heal this boy. And my grandmother, who was about five feet tall or about five feet wide, (laughs) chased him out of the house. Don't you pray for my boy unless you can pray a healing prayer. She was like that. And uh, she chased him out. And said, said Oral, it is God's will for you to be healed. It is God's will. And the day came when, when he heard the news that, uh, that uh, Brother George Muncy was, was in town preaching and praying for the sick. There were miracles. The night before, there had been an American, a native Indian boy that had been healed of tuberculosis. And, uh, uh, and there's Indian blood in our family. And my oldest uncle, Elmer, uh, said, said to his brother, my, my dad, I want to take you to this service. And on the way, uh, in the car, the, the Lord spoke to him and said, I am going to heal you tonight, and you're to take my healing power to your generation. And when Brother Muncie prayed for him that night, about 11 o'clock, he didn't say, Lord, if it be your will. He said, you foul, tormenting sickness. I adjure you by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, come out of this boy, loose him and set him free. And the power of God came into his body and up his legs and his torso and into his lungs. Suddenly he could breathe. He didn't, wasn't hemorrhaging from the mouth and spitting blood anymore. I mean, he was, he was within days of being taken to the, the tuberculosis sanitarium in eastern Oklahoma in Tallahene. And in those days in 1935, when you went into the tuberculosis sanitarium, you didn't come out alive. Because all, all they had for medicines was raw eggs beaten up in milk. There were no antibiotics in 1935. You went in there and you died. And there had been tuberculosis in our family. But Brother Muncy prayed a different kind of prayer. And my dad was healed that night and called into the healing ministry as a result of it. Is any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church. Let them pray. Anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. That's the word of faith is the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith shall save the sick person. And the Lord will raise him up. Thank God for the healing ministry. Can you imagine what would happen this Sunday if every pastor in America at the close of their service said, Is any sick among you? come forward. The elders and I are going to lay hands on you and we're going to pray the prayer of faith. We're going to anoint you with oil. We're going to pray the prayer of faith and believe God for miracles. And if nothing seemingly happens, we're going to say you're winting. You know, every healing is not instantaneous. Some healings take a period of time. I don't know why. I don't know why, why it happens that way. Sometimes healing is instantaneous. Sometimes it comes over a period of time. Lindsay and I were in Denver preaching and uh, there was a woman in the crowd who was in a wheelchair and I was up, up on the platform praying God was manifesting the gifts of the spirit particularly the word of knowledge and uh, I looked down at her and I said ma'am if all you can do is move a finger, move it well I'm sure somebody thought that was a cruel thing to say to someone who was in a wheelchair but I looked over at her and she just started doing this she just started. And sometimes you just got to start. And I prayed for others, and I looked, and she was moving her arms and her shoulders. And uh, I, looked, I looked again, and she was moving her legs and moving her body in the chair. I looked up again, and the chair was empty, and she was up walking. She started. Now, one of the main reasons I believe why many ministers do not pray for the sick is because they are afraid of failure. What if it doesn't work? Well, what if it does? Do you think they'll get sicker if you pray? What have you got to lose? Those who stood up here, Brother Jerry and I had their hands on this morning, what do they have to lose? They've got nothing to lose and they have everything to gain. But we as ministers, we, we take it so personally. Thinking that we are the ones who can do the healing. And we think if we don't have a certain method, if we don't get a running start at them, you know, and leap when we put our hands on them, and if we don't say the right word and we don't emphasize our hand at the proper moment. Don't you know that the healing power really has nothing to do with you? It's God. We're just an instrument. It's not the pipe, it's the oil that flows through it. The pipe's just laying there. It's the oil that has the energy in it. It's God working through us. And then I hear people say, well, I, I prayed for them, but they must have not had any faith. What a terrible thing to say to somebody. Especially when you read the Bible and see that every man, every woman was born with faith. Everyone has faith. You were born with it. You couldn't get saved without faith. You wouldn't sit in that seat if you didn't have faith that it would support your weight. You wouldn't get in your car and get out here on on the Chisholm Trail and drive unless you had faith that your car would transport you where you're going. You have to have faith. You can't get saved without faith. Every person was born with faith. You may decide not to use it, but you've got it. And for someone to say to a sick person, you must not have had any faith. What a terrible thing to say to someone. Well, what do I say? You know, there's a moment there where where it's awkward, you say, and I I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Well, let me tell you what I do. I always say, look, I'm standing in faith with you. And I'm not coming out of this prayer of agreement in Jesus' name until the miracle is fully manifested. Amen. I'm standing with you in faith. I'm calling forth your healing every day of my life until the manifestation comes. You talk about helping people. Your job is not to heal. Our job is not the healer. Our job is to pray. The miracle is up to God. I think back over, over my life and over growing up as Earl Robert's son and, and seeing these great miracles and, and, and how God would, would call me into the healing ministry as the last thing on earth that I wanted to do. You mentioned that this morning, Brother Jerry. I, you were in the paint and body business. You weren't interested in being in the ministry, neither was I. You know, I, was a, I, I wanted to be a nightclub singer. I was a professional singer. I was singing in a band. I was performing in clubs. I was, I was involved in it. I was making good money. I'd been offered a job at the Sahara Hotel in Las Vegas, singing in their clubs, and I wasn't interested in, in God. i had had all of that. I'd, I'd seen all the, uh, 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 I'd seen everything. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, have you seen just about everything?
1: <laughs>
0: I'd seen it all. You know, I'd seen the good, the bad, the ugly. I'd seen everything. I didn't want to be involved in that, and I particularly didn't want to have all the scrutiny. I didn't want to have all the criticism. I didn't want to have all that that I saw my father going through. I loved my dad, and I knew my dad was genuine and real. I just didn't want to be a part of it because I didn't want to have to live like that. I didn't want to live under all that criticism and all that media, uh, uh, all that talk. And i I'd been through it in school, and the, and the, the, the school kids and the, and the teachers and all that they had done and said. Every time there was an article, I was the, I was the centerpiece of the talk in class. And it it drove me away from God. It drove me inside myself. I didn't want any part of that. And I told my dad, get the hell out of my life. And he said, well, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get the hell out of your life. (laughs) And I'm just saying. (laughs) But when I gave my heart to the Lord at 19... Everything changed. And somehow I I was willing, I was willing to take whatever they threw at me and that I could stand up and I could serve the Lord knowing that the day would come that I would be in the healing ministry. It had been prophesied over me when I was a boy, but I had gone away from it and I'd gone away from God. And my father had laid his hands on me And prophesied what I would do with my life and the healing ministry and how the word of knowledge would flow through me and all the things that he said and others including Catherine Kuhlman had laid hands on me and given the same prophecy over and over and over but I wasn't interested. But when I gave my heart to the Lord everything changed and I was willing I was willing to take the blows I was willing to endure hardness as a good soldier Listen, it's not easy. This is not a bed paved with roses. I mean, it's it's tough, and it's getting tougher to be a Christian in this world. It's tough to stand up for the name of Jesus. It's difficult. It takes some intestinal fortitude to to, to say, is any sick among you? You know, the way the world is heading, it looks like we're heading toward the days again where, 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 where when we say those words, we're in peril for our lives. We don't know what's going to happen in the future, but we do know who's holding that future. Yes. And I've got news. The world is looking for men and women who will be bold and strong and pray for them. I've not had people turn down my prayers. When I go into a hospital to pray for someone and the word begins to circulate, before I can leave the hospital, I have 10 other patients uh, having their families come out and say, would you come into my father's room, my wife's room, my child's room? Will you pray? There's something about people. There's a, my dad used to say there's a God-shaped vacuum, Pastor Earl, a God-shaped vacuum in every person. Everyone is reaching out for God in some way. And when they see someone that represents healing, they want their prayers. They may be a Christian. They may not be a Christian. But there's something about the way we were born. We want healing. Everybody wants to get well. And I thank God. I I noted what you said this morning about your doctor who said something magical has happened. He didn't know how to say He didn't know how to say it. But he knew something special had happened to you. He, He didn't know how to put words to it. But he knew something supernatural had happened, and the world is looking for the supernatural. And we've got the supernatural. We've got it. All we have to do is to believe God and to say, I I avail myself. I I preached at a conference not long ago. By the way, I I should tell you this story. I guess it was maybe a year or two ago, I got up. It was about 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm normally up at 5. I had my prayer time. And I, I got up, and I was sitting on the side of the bed, and I just kind of, you know how you do, you rubbing my eyes and trying to wake up to get up and go into the other room and pray when the Lord spoke to me. And he said, Your crusade days are over. And I said, Lord, what do you mean my crusade days are over? He said, Your, your crusade days are coming to an end. And I, I felt like my whole world would come apart. When God says your crusade days are over and you've, you've traveled and preached around the world for 35 years, almost 40 years, having crusades all over the world with crowds as big as 100, 200,000 at one time, and now God says it's over? I'm, my mind is racing. What am, what am I going to do? What do you want me to do, Lord? This is what I know. This is what you've called me to do, and now you say It's over. And before I could get that question fully running through my mind, he said, do you remember what your father said to you before he died? Well, I remembered. I'd forgotten about it. He said, son, when you get into your mid-60s, your crusade ministry will change. And you will become a minister to ministers. And you will teach on three subjects. Healing, the Holy Spirit, and seed faith and you'll teach ministers around the world about healing the Holy Spirit the baptism of the Holy Spirit the gifts of the Spirit and the principles of sowing and reaping you'll teach that to ministers all over the world and I'm sitting there on the bed and the Lord reminds me of that prophecy and I said yes Lord I remember that and the Lord says that day has come and he said as a sign to you So that you'll know it's me, you'll not receive another invitation for an overseas
1: crusade. (laughs) Thank you. you.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, up until that moment, I'd had invitations from presidents and prime ministers and kings and queens and people in authority all over the world. I'd gone into their presidential offices and laid hands on them, I'd gone to their homes and laid hands on their family members, I'd led some of them to the Lord. I led twelve members of the Queen's family along with Lindsay to the to not lead you to the Lord, I led them. Misplaced modifier. Misplaced, you know, throw mama from the train, a kiss. <laughs> you're slow, but you're worth waiting on. But she and we led twelve members of the Queen's household to the Lord as we were sitting on the floor because we weren't allowed to be above her head. She was sitting on the throne, and we had to sit on the floor and have our heads lower than her head. And and 12 of her family members got saved. And we had this happen all over the world. The Lord said, you're not going to get another invitation, but you're going to be asked to speak at ministers' conferences. And in these last months, year, year, or more, more, ago, I've only had invitations from ministers' groups and churches. No invitations from not one president, not one prime minister, not one ambassador. Not one leader of a nation. And I've laid hands on 36 presidents from around the world. Not a one. Except now I'm getting invitations to come to conferences like these to talk about healing, the Holy Spirit, and seed faith. And to pour into ministers what God has poured into me. And what I have learned from a modern-day apostle of healing named Oral Roberts. There's only one person alive that knows Oral Roberts like I do. And that's that woman sitting right there. My father called her a mother in Israel. And she was extremely close to him for more than 30 years. Helped him write his books. He would come into her and say, here are 10 pages I've just written. Turn this into a 100-page book. And she could do it. She has a photographic memory. She remembers everything I have ever done. Amen. I, I wish there were some things that she would forget. She use it wisely. <laughs> uh, and my father left all of his sermons. He left everything that he had like that to her. And she has File after file after file. Jerry is trying to get his hands on them the best he can, but he's going to have a hard time. Well, she's already offered them to Jerry. Well, them to Jerry. Jerry best. Oh, he likes Jerry best. Okay. <laughs> Just remember, I got on your pants. <laughs> uh. But this business of the supernatural, people are looking for the supernatural, and they see you, and they they sense the anointing. They know there's something different about you. They may not be able to verbalize it. They may not be able to explain like that doctor. They may not be able to explain it in, in the way that that uh, you would understand. But they know something about them. Their senses, that God ability that's in them. That they know there's something different. It's like when I was in Ghana. Uh, preaching, and, and I went to see a President Rawlings when he was in office. I laid hands on four presidents in Ghana. And Rawlings was a big man, much bigger than me, bigger than my dad. His hands were half again the size of mine, big man, big hands. And when we prayed at the end of the meeting, uh, afterwards, he wouldn't let my hand go. He just kept holding my hand, and he said, Dr. Roberts, I've held many hands in my life, some hands hot and some hands cold, but your hand has the right temperature. Hmm. He didn't know how to say what he meant. He was talking about the anointing. He just didn't understand how he couldn't use the right words, but I knew what he meant. He knew it, but he didn't know how to say it. And I said, well, Mr. President, it's not me. It's not my hands. It's the anointing that I carry. That's what you feel. That's what you feel when I come in the room, but it's not me. It's God in me. And that's how people feel about you. When you come into the room, you represent salvation. You represent healing. You represent the Holy Spirit. You are God's ambassador. And when you come into a room, someone has entered the room. And everything changes when you come into the room. And when you go into a hospital room to pray for someone, it's like someone has thrown out a life preserver because you have come into the room. And people feel you. that They don't know how to say it. But they know there's something different. And we've got to rise to the occasion and be that person. We've got to allow that. And we have to be willing to take the blows because of it. Are you willing? I'm willing. I, I charge every one of you. Every time you preach, give people an opportunity for the prayer of faith. You may, you may lay hands on them. You may speak a word of knowledge. You may pray a corporate prayer. There are a hundred different ways and methods that God will use through you. You don't have to use the same method. My father's method was through the laying on of hands. God anointed his right hand. And that's the method that God gave him. God gave me an operation of the word of knowledge. It's different. It's not any better. It's just different. Right. But it's, it's hooked up to the same. It's, it, it, it may be a different pipe, but it's hooked up to the same, same tower. It's the same, same God. Uh, T.L. Osborne did not go out into the crowd. He couldn't go out into the crowd. There were too many people. So he would just stand there on the platform and hold out his hands and pray. And people would come by the thousands with healing miracle testimonies. My father uh, couldn't do it that way. He he had, to, he had to lay his hands on you because that's the method that God gave him. It right. wasn't well, any better. It's just different. And and we often think, well, if we don't do it the way Oral Roberts did it, or if we don't do it the way Brother Jerry does it, or if we don't do it the way Kenneth Hagin did it, or, or we don't do it if the way uh, Brother Copeland does it, then then it won't work. Lindsay and I, you mentioned Brother Hagin about a half dozen times this morning. So did uh, Pastor uh, Brother Keith, but... Lindsay and I were sitting in a camp meeting in Tulsa, and Brother Hagan was preaching. And we were sitting on the front row we were just enjoying ourselves and enjoying the service and enjoying Brother Hagan and his message, when all of a sudden uh, he said, and now Richard Roberts is going to give the word of knowledge. <laughs> I looked at Lindsay and said, me? I was... This is back in the 80s, 1980s, and I was, I was young in the healing ministry, and I looked at her, and I said, Richard Roberts doesn't have any word of knowledge. And she said, well, he said you did. <laughs> well, are you going to help me? No. <laughs> you're on your own, buddy. And Brother Hagin comes walking off the platform with this other microphone, and I kept saying, just go back up there. Go back. You're, you're preaching good. You, you don't need me. And he just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming, handed me the microphone. Now, there are about ten or 12,000 people in the room. And I said, God, I, 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 just, I just came to be in the service. And he, he handed me the microphone, and I didn't know what else to do but to stand. And when he handed me the microphone, instantaneously, the word of knowledge began to flow. And I gave about a dozen or more words of knowledge. It came up on the platform. People began to come forward and give healing testimonies. Brother Hagin was sitting over the side. I remember he had his arms folded. He was going, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. Once in a while, he'd go. (laughs) And when I finished, he just took the mic and started preaching right where he left off. We have to be instant, Uh, in and out of season. I was in a conference with Brother Copeland. He was preaching. And there's no one in the world that preaches longer than Kenneth Copeland. He learned it from my father. My father could preach for two hours. And then lay hands on people for three hours. And Kenneth learned that from him. Kenneth is in the middle of his message. I'm sitting on the platform behind him with a bunch of other ministers. And the Lord says, I'm giving you three words of knowledge. Get up there and give them. I said, Lord, I'm not going to interrupt Kenneth Copeland. So I just sat there. second time I heard the Lord say, get up there and give three words of knowledge. I said, Lord, I'm not going to interrupt Kenneth Copeland. That's rude. (laughs) I was raised with more manners than that. I thought of every excuse I could. (laughs) And a third time I heard him say, I said, get up there. Well, I knew when it was the third time I was in trouble. Get up there and give three words of knowledge. I said, Lord, if you want me to do this, you tell Kenneth to stop his message and have me come up. Not more than 10 seconds went by. Oh. Kenneth stopped, he turned around, looked at me, and said, I believe you have some words of knowledge, don't you? I said, Three. I said, Come up here and give them. So Kenneth pulled up a chair. I gave the three words of knowledge. People came forward, gave testimonies of healing. He Kenneth sat there going, <laughs> and when I finished, he got up, started right back where he was. We've got to be instant in and out of season. Because it doesn't just happen in your churches, it happens in restaurants. When they come up to your table, and you got a mouthful of food and you have preached hard and you don't want to talk a lot but they see you and they recognize you and they see a light and you may be the only light they've seen that day and they need you it may happen in an airport I was changing planes here in Dallas and I was going up the escalator uh, you know to catch the tram to go to the next terminal and uh, I was going up with a bunch of people a bunch of people coming down a lady coming down saw me. She said, oh, you recognize me? She said, I've been diagnosed with cancer. Would you pray for me? The escalator's full going down. The escalator's full on my side going up. And there's this bar thing in the middle. And so I said, when you get close, I'm going to touch you. People looked at me like I was out of my mind. And I leaned, I, I held onto the rail. I had one leg up, like this, i look, I'm, I'm posing like this, trying to reach across. And she held out her hand when she got there. I touched her and said, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke this cancer, come out. She went, woo, woo. And we were like two ships passing in the night. I was going up, she was coming down. But she needed prayer then. Didn't matter what these people thought. Didn't matter what they thought over there. Look, they think it already. They already think you're crazy. They already think you're out of your mind. You are. You are out of your mind. And you're into your spirit where you belong. Somebody give praise to the Lord. They already think you're strange. Well, didn't the Bible call us a peculiar people? They already think it. Why not just confirm it? Lady got on the plane sitting behind me. She said, I'm so glad you're on this plane. I know we're going to land.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, because I have an assignment. Yeah. And here's my flight going home. You want to say flight home, you know? Yeah. We, we are to be light. Yeah. And when people see us, they want what we've got. They don't know how to express it, but they want it. And we've got to be instant in and out of season. And we've got to understand how to pray one for another. God may, God may give you words of knowledge. God may have you have a prayer line. He may, he may do it through you and through your elders. Uh, he, he may do it through a mass prayer. But do it. It's not the method. It's the obedience in doing it. I'll tell you what, if every pastor would do that this Sunday, there would be miracles all over this nation.
1: That's right. Amen.
0: I was invited to come to a crusade to give the benediction. I didn't want to go, I didn't want to be on the platform. Um, I didn't know why they invited me to come. I felt so out of place. I was so uncomfortable. But I went. Because this man uh, asked me to. And when I got there, the Lord gave me a number of words of knowledge. And I said, Lord, this is not my meeting. Uh, I feel out of place. You'll have to make a way. Because this group of people... Don't go much in for miracles. And I sat there on the platform. I wrestled all night what to do. And it came after the man gave the altar call. And he said, I'm leaving. And he turned and left. And they turned it to me to give the benediction. And I walked up to the microphone. And word of knowledge was flowing. And I, I, I said, God, I, I can't do this. This is not my meeting. It's not going to be accepted in this particular crowd. And so I prayed a, a very sincere prayer, and I left. And I've carried that for years in me. What if I had obeyed and done it regardless? I don't know. Did I make a mistake? I don't know. All I know is I had the unction to obey God and I didn't do it. And I've wondered through these years what would have happened in that crowd because there was an opportunity to pray for people's healing and I didn't do it. And that's something that I don't ever want to happen to me again. I want to be available to pray over the needs of people and I want to learn in my own humanity how not to be too busy to do it. If it's in a restaurant, if it's in a hotel, if it's in a Walmart, if it's in an airport, if it's in a service, wherever it is, I want to learn how to be available, how to be the man of God that he's called me to be how to find a way to set aside my own idiosyncrasies and be available. Because I got news, people are sick. With all the great doctors, with all the great (coughs) medical institutions, and thank God for them, with all the great diagnostic equipment and all the medicines that have been discovered, people seem to be sicker than they've ever been. Not many vacancies in the hospitals. They're full because people are sick. And thank God for the doctor. Luke was not a former physician. Paul called him the beloved physician. And while Paul was praying for them on the island of Melita, Luke was treating them medically. Thank God for the doctor. But where is the prayer of faith that goes with the work of the doctor? Jesus said, they that are sick need a physician well, the word also says that we're to pray one for another for our healing. Yeah. Come on. The prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And I go back to where I started. Preaching and teaching and healing. Anything less is not the full gospel. If you're just preaching and teaching, you're not fulfilling the call on your life. He said, preach, teach, and heal. Not that you and I can heal, but that we pray for God to do the healing. And I get back to the scripture in James. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick person. And the Lord who said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. The Lord, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Let's stand together. Let's have a demonstration. Let's have an act of faith. Let's turn toward one another and make groups of two or three. And let's lay hands on one another. Bible says, pray one for another that you may be healed. It means that you pray for their healing, and as you pray for their healing, that healing can come back to you. I remember years ago, there was a woman who worked in our ministry who was diagnosed with cancer, and she went around praying for others who had cancer, and God healed her. Pray one for another that you may be healed. You're not only praying for their healing, but when you pray for their healing, that's a seed that can come back to you. So just begin to pray for them. Lay hands on them right now and pray the prayer of faith. Don't pray, Lord, if it be your will. Instead, take authority over the problem. Command it in Jesus' name to come out. Father, in Jesus' name, we come against every sickness and every disease. We come against every fear and every doubt. Anything and everything that is unlike God. And we take authority over it in Jesus' name. Come out! Come out! Come out! And again I say, come out! Come out! Come out and enter again no more forever. I bind you and cast you out and send you to the dry and uninhabited places of this earth. I thank you, Lord, for your word that is in my mouth today. And I proclaim it boldly, unashamedly, without reservation, wholeheartedly. now lift your hands and begin to give him thanks begin to give him praise thank him for the healing that's in process now it may be instantaneous it may come over a period of time thank him for what's in process now It's 1201. Let's use our faith. It's 1201. Now, remain standing for a moment. How many of you can say, when someone laid hands on me, I felt the power of God. Put your hand up. Look at that. Now, find somebody else and turn toward them a minute. Let's try something else. Let's do something else. Find somebody else. Let's do something else. This time, this time, don't touch him. Don't touch him. You remember? The Bible says he said his word and healed him. He didn't lay hands on the Roman centurion's aid. He didn't walk up the seacoast to where he was and lay hands on him. He said he would, but the centurion said it's not necessary. It's the first message that Brother Jerry preached. He said it's not necessary because I'm also a man under authority And I say to this soldier, go and he goes, this one come and he comes, this one do this and he does it. But I recognize you have authority above all authority. You don't have to come and lay your hands on him. You just send the word. And Jesus said, I've not seen such great faith, though not at all of Israel. And he sent the word. Go your way. And when the man, when the man was about halfway home, word reached him that his aid had been healed. All right, there are times when you can't lay hands on people. It might not be accepted. It might not be received. Or the circumstances might not feel right. So it gives us another method, sending the word. So put your hands out like this. Don't touch them. Don't touch them. Don't touch them. Pray the same prayer. Just send the word to them right now. Just send it. Just send it. Send the word to them. Father in Jesus name I send the word just like I'd send a text message I send it I send it I send it I hit the send button I send it in the name of Jesus for healing for deliverance for God's miracle power in every area of your life from the crown of your head, even unto the soles of your feet. Backs are being healed right now. Feet are being healed right now. A spinal injury is being healed right now. A throat is being healed right now. Brother Jerry, you'd be amazed how much stronger your voice is going to be. You'd be amazed. It's a miracle. as a thought has crossed your mind, will my voice ever fully come back? Oh yeah. Be better than than ever. And it will not lose that good Texas accent. Or Louisiana. (laughs) Now lift your hands unto the Lord and give him thanks. Give him praise. Give him honor. We thank you, Father. We We receive. We receive. We receive. We're using our faith today. The word of faith is in our mouths. And we believe. And we won't take no for an answer. In the name of Jesus. Now, I want to see the hands of those who felt the power of God when someone just stretched their hands out toward them. Look at the hands. Look at all over them. Well, be seated for just a minute. Praise God. <laughs> this is what God has told me to do. Healing, the Holy Spirit, and seed faith. And we were having a dinner a few weeks ago with both Jerry and Carolyn. And that was when Jerry asked me if I would be a part of this and take the other services that he would normally preach. And I was, I was overwhelmed. I, I wasn't expecting that. Because well, this is the first one of his conferences I've, I've ever been in. And uh, so I'm overwhelmed by the invitation. But I said to him, well, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to follow the Holy Spirit. Well, I said, how many times will I be speaking? He said, three times. I thought of healing, (laughs) the Holy Spirit, and see faith. It's just a little
1: preview.
0: (laughs) We were sitting at lunch today, and if there's a better restaurant, to have catering from than babes. I would like to know what it is, because I want to eat there, because I am in love with babes. But uh, one of the ministers here from Boston was reminding me of a story that my father told him, and I said, I just might tell that uh, this morning. So before I sit down, let me tell you a story that I think will bless you. I'm not sure what year it was. I mean, it was in the early 50s. It was it was uh, probably when I was two or three, so I, I, obviously I don't remember it, but, but I've heard the story from my father all my life. He was in Miami, and he had stretched his tent and was having a great crusade, but there was, a tremendous, uh, there was tremendous criticism that was coming against him. The media was against him, and there was a group of atheists in the city who had gone uh, to a judge and and, uh, required that he stand before a Miami district judge and swear under oath that he did not have some type of electric device up the sleeve of his right arm. This was in about 51 or 52. I was about three or so. And my father stood before a federal judge and swore an affidavit under oath that there was nothing up his sleeve when he prayed for the sick. Now, this is in America. America. This group of atheists were so unhappy and so outraged that my father was having a crusade that they, they announced publicly that they were going to perform a citizen's arrest. They're going to come to the crusade and they were going to arrest my father and put him in jail for what they call practicing medicine without a license <laughs> because he prayed for the sick. And that group had already performed a citizen's arrest on Jack Coe in one of his crusades. And they actually got him behind bars for a couple of hours. They couldn't make the charges stick. But, however, he was actually in jail for a couple of hours before he was bailed out. And my father did not want to go through that humiliation. And he was very concerned and very worried. They'd put out the word that that night... They were coming to arrest him and close the crusade down. And he was very concerned about it. His habit was that uh, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he would go to the hotel room and close the doors and shut everyone and everything off, and he would take a short nap, and then he would get his Bible and pray and get his message for the night for the service. And as we grew up, we all knew what that meant In a crusade, we he they usually rented two rooms, and uh, for him and my mother and and us as children, and we knew at three o'clock we had to go into the other room and we couldn't make a sound, because he was going to take a nap and get prepared uh, for the service. So, so I wasn't old enough in this one to remember that, but he said I went to bed and slept for a little while. About three o'clock, when all of a sudden I was awakened by a hand on my shoulder. And he said, I thought it was your mother. And I sat up on the side of the bed, but there was nobody in the room. And he said, I was keenly aware that God had awakened me. And he said, I sat on the edge of the bed, and I said, yes, Lord. And he said, the Lord said to me these words. Oral Roberts, expect a miracle. Expect a miracle a miracle. That phrase became a catchphrase when around the world. That's how it happened. It came about in a hotel room in Miami, Florida in about 1951. He went to the crusade that night. The atheists never showed up. And the crusade was one of the greatest healing crusades Miami, Florida ever had. Years later, as I grew up, he said, Richard, let me tell you what else the Lord said to me that day. And I'd never heard this part. He said, not only did he say, Oral Roberts, expect a miracle. But he also said, Oral Roberts, expect a new miracle every day. So everybody say, "Expect expect a miracle. Turn to your neighbor and say, expect a miracle. Isn't that a faith-building word? Talk about a word of faith. Turn to somebody else and say, expect a miracle. Find one other person and say, expect a miracle. Now turn to them and say, expect a new miracle every day. That brings it front and center, doesn't it? Not just expect a miracle somewhere, somehow, but expect a new miracle every day. That means today. Stand up on your feet one more time and say, I expect a new miracle every day. I expect a new miracle every day. I expect a new miracle every day. day." Now give the Lord praise.